As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, May 22nd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we'll discuss the highly anticipated arrival of Bobby Miller into the Dodgers rotation. We're going to dig into why projections don't like Logan Gilbert as much as I think they should. We'll talk about Patrick Bailey quietly sneaking into the catcher pool over the weekend and some second month concerns, things that if they had happened in April, people would be freaking out about them but because they've happened in May. Maybe people aren't as in tune with them as they should be. It's just how it works. The stats build on each other. So uh, a bad May doesn't stand out quite the way uh, a bad April can. So a lot to get to. Got a few mailbag questions we're going to sprinkle into this episode as well. But, you know, The most important question on the minds of all Rates and Barrels listeners right now. How did things turn out on the Little League Diamonds this weekend? Oh, they lost in the championship game. Allhouse made it to the second championship game because it was a double elimination tournament. So they beat Say Hey the first time they played them, but the second time proved too difficult. And... uh, it was a tough loss, 11-9, I think, in six innings. Uh, they were complaining about an inconsistent zone. <laughs> the, wait, the kids were complaining about yes, an inconsistent zone? the kids zone? were complaining about an inconsistent zone. <laughs> Where do kids learn how to complain about an inconsistent strike zone? Is that something that they talk about on Arthur and kids shows? Or like, do you, do you learn that when you're really young? It's actually ubiquitous if you listen to a, a, a cast, TV cast. It's like, it's going to come up. Right, like think oh, about it. Comes it. about every there. Are, the complaints about the strike zone are either coming from the announcers. They're obviously part of the game when you see like managers get ejected or, the or players, players rolling their eyes yeah. and stuff. You can't you can't watch a game and not see or hear something about calls that people are upset about. So it is yeah, it's definitely not, it's like not for me. In. I'm pretty sure, and I don't think our coaching staff talks about it because they're 13 year old umpires. So right, it's not yeah, like, they're kid, they're kid umpires. Yeah, so we we you know even if uh, you know my dad gets a little grumpy sometimes and lets out a that wasn't us, right? I'm like shh, come on. <laughs> so, uh, but it was uh, one of those weekends. 
where uh, they couldn't be sad for too long because there was another party to go to <laughs> right after that. So it was full of pool parties. And uh, in fact, the entire baseball team had a pool party at, for somebody's birthday the next day. And they were all just playing baseball in the pool uh, with pool you know, noodles and stuff. And so, and, and what's interesting is I've caught these kids, they've got the, the bug where they're playing baseball with whatever they have at their disposal at any time. So I came <laughs> to pick them up from after school care and they were throwing a base, uh, uh, they were throwing a tennis ball and somebody was catching it with his hat. <laughs> and they were, and they were hitting it with a plastic bat and they just found a way to do baseball. Uh, my kid was really upset about the game. When I come home, he's throwing the tennis ball off the wall and, and taking grounders. So there was a little bit of like, uh, they've caught the bug and they're all going to baseball camps over the summer and they're all going to, you know, try and get better. And, you know, that was, that was the way out of the tears in a way it was, all right, we're going to work on hitting this, uh, this, uh, this off season, this summer, you know? So yeah, you get, just keep on playing. That's the best part of, of being a kid. I, I think the, the first thing I thought of though, and they, they had a party the next day, right? It's kids. Kids are just super busy. It's, uh. It's like in the Christmas story, there's this line, Ralphie says, in the jungles of kingdom, the mind switches gears rapidly. It's just kind yes. of snuck in there, but that's <laughs> yeah. true. Like when you're that's a kid, exactly it's like happened. the thing that matters the most is right in front of you. It does matter. And then an hour passes and something else fun <laughs> or interesting comes along. And that's the thing you care about. The I, most. Bought him a, I bought him a uh, Magic the Gathering uh, card to. Uh, a, a deck to uh, a pack to, to to get his mind off it and yeah that worked wonders because by the time we were home he's un, he's unpacking it there you go so bum they didn't win the title but glad they've got the itch and they're excited about just continuing to play because i think that's uh that's what you want you want kids to be excited about games like that let's get into some topics bobby miller is coming up for the dodgers i snuck a peek at the model i didn't have to in this case because bobby miller is just pure filth but the model also likes bobby miller so this is the classic pitches for a good team has a filled the arsenal projects well ticks all the boxes this is going to be a potentially very expensive picture to add in fab come this weekend because he's going to have a chance to pitch at least once before Fab runs, and there's a chance that he actually hangs around for a bit because of the Dustin May injury. We're going to see Miller and Gavin Stone this week because... And the Luis Urias injury. Julio, yeah, Julio, Julio Urias Julio is down. Urias, yeah, he's got a hamstring injury. That injury doesn't look to me quite as serious, of course, as the May injury, but both of these guys, at least for a little while, are up. So with Bobby Miller, it's really just a matter of is he completely back and healthy after that shoulder injury that slowed him down to begin the season based on his latest results for the AAA affiliate of the Dodgers? The answer is a resounding. Yeah, uh, that was against AAA Sugarland. Thank you to a couple of our listeners for dropping me a note. It is Sugarland, not Sugarland. Hmm. Very important distinction. Six K's over six innings last time out. One earned run, two hits. Got his first win of the season, but it's the depth of the start and just the overall quality that is exactly what you want to see. And it's just Stuff Plus has him as the has the second best uh, starter in AAA this year, second to Mason Miller, and yet he does not really have the same uh, innings concerns as Mason Miller, I don't think, because he made it to 111 innings last year. 
Right. So he only has a he only has fourteen on the ledger this year, and I would I would think that there's a little bit of an opportunity here, like Bryce Miller, where too many people might be looking at those AAA numbers this year and saying, "Oh, he must have had a reduction in stuff." Model says no, and this is a guy who struck out thirty percent of the batters he saw last year in AA and AAA. And I would venture uh, uh, there's the possibility that he is the winner of the uh, young pitchers looking to get into that rotation uh, battle. If you think about it, they've had Gavin Stone up. They've had uh, there's Ryan Pepio is there. Michael Grove. To me, Bobby Miller is clearly better than any of them. And, you know, I doubt that this uh, rotation will ever be five strong and healthy at the same time. So I think there's an outside chance that Bobby Miller finds a way to stay on the roster all year. Yeah, I think even if they were completely healthy in the rotation or if they added somebody at the trade deadline, Bobby Miller could help them as a multi-inning reliever. They certainly could use boost in that facet of the pitching staff. So I think that's another path forward for him. Um, Long term, I still think there's a very good chance he's a starter and a good starter. You mentioned the workload last year, well over a strikeout per inning. I just I think there's a ton to like with Bobby Miller. So all of this makes sense. One of the more exciting debuts we've had this season. We've had plenty of them. A lot of good pitching prospects have come so far, and, and Bobby Miller could be even better than some of the pitchers we've seen to this point in the season. Um, you know, Stone, I know you've mentioned before, I think the, the main issue is that his best pitch is his changeup, and that's a very difficult profile uh, to buy into. So it, is that the main source of your your hesitation with him, despite really good numbers throughout last season pitching at three different levels? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I don't want to be anti-changeup, uh, but, <laughs> you know, the model doesn't really, it doesn't help us as much. There's definitely some outliers in that regard. Um, but, I, you know, even though I have this to- this comp of, like, maybe he could be a Tony Gonsolin-type pitcher, um, you know, it just, he's, he hasn't played out that way. And, um, you know, to be fair, Tony Gonsolin's splitter rates is one of the best changeups in the game by stuff plus, you know what I mean? So, uh, there's still a chance that he could pull off a Tony Gonsolin-esque, uh, career and line. I'm just not sure it's going to be this year. And, and there's not really much to look at that says, oh, that stuff plus is wrong. I mean, uh, you look at that 6% swing strike rate so far. Uh, it's not very impressive. So, And, and the velo, 93.7 in today's game, that's actually uh, slightly below average, <laughs> amazingly. So um, I don't know. I'm not saying that I'm out on stone for his career, uh, but I am saying that this year I would rather have Bobby Miller. Yeah, I'm with you, I think, just based on the, the arsenal. I think... I might have that gap smaller than a lot of other people do. I think with the Dodgers, because I trust them as an organization to do right by their pitchers, to put them in positions to succeed, both in terms of game planning and overall usage, that would get me to have more of that, hey, you know, Gonsolin sort of cheats the numbers a little bit. Mm, Air quotes, cheats. Everybody, they've had the lowest Babbitt forever. Right, some of that's defensive positioning. I'd like to check. Do you think they have the lowest Babbitt this year? I don't think they do. That would be the first time in forever. Like, I couldn't find a year that they weren't. I'd be surprised if they weren't, like, top three or top five at least. That'd Here be we pretty go. weird. Pitching Babip. Come on, sort. 
Because my argument was, even without being able to shift, you oh. still get to choose where guys play, and you could still, within the rules, make some adjustments. Dodgers are 12th. Ooh, that is very surprising. Well, I guess it's number one. It's always one of these two teams. Rays? Yeah. <laughs> so, Dodgers somehow lost that juice. That's interesting. Well, yeah. I guess the other question would be, is seven weeks, eight weeks of season enough to say this is how it's going to be for the rest of the year? Or is this just a snapshot of what's happened so far under the new rules? Yeah, it's fair to ask. You know, there's some people who think that uh, that Kershaw and Urias are the main drivers of that. Um, that Babbitt being down and Urias is not having the best year so far. And perhaps the injury has something to do with it. Possible. I want to get into some other topics, though, with you today. One in particular, why don't projections like Logan Gilbert more? He doesn't have bad projections, but Logan Gilbert, for as well as he has pitched throughout his big league career and as well as he is pitching this season, has surprisingly kind of just good instead of great projections by pretty much all the systems, particularly the bat at a 421 ERA and a 122 whip. Important again to point out the context of the bat adjusting more to this run environment than the other projection systems. So you're going to see higher ratios there than you do elsewhere. Other projections all across fan graphs have him in the high three zips. I guess has him at a 352. All of the projection systems have him at a 117 whip or higher. He's been at a 115 for his career. He's at an even one this season. But Logan Gilbert's always had good control. Now he's missing more bats than ever. What is it about him that is keeping him from kind of cracking the top 15 or top 20 by projection? Because if you run the auction calculator for a 15-team league, he comes out kind of as at the back of the top 30. You do have to adjust that for a few guys who are currently hurt that would likely be taken after him if we were redrafting today for the rest of the season. But I would have predicted that to be more like a top 15 sort of pitcher rest of the season based on what he's doing right now and what he's done overall throughout his career yeah he's a he's a strange one um but i think i'm a little surprised that the projection systems haven't uh, caught on to his career high strikeout rate and progressed closer to that because his career strikeout rate including this year where he's striking out 30.6 percent of the batters you've seen it's a really nice number uh, is 24.7, and all of the projections have Logan Gilbert basically with a 24% strikeout rate going forward. And I don't know. It seems like it, like in a given season, if a guy's jumped up to a new level of strikeout rate, I mean, he's got 50 innings in him. You'd think that you would hew a little bit closer to maybe what he's showing in terms of strikeout rate. So... I also just know that our own projections uh, mirrored uh, that of the group. Uh, we had it slightly better than the bat uh, because his stuff plus is pretty good. So we had like a four ERA projected rest of season. Um, so, you know, our projection system did the same thing as the rest of them. But I'd say just using my eyes and then, you know, just a little bit of a story here that's kind of fun. Um Logan Gilbert and Ian Hamilton uh, are owners of uh, perhaps a unique pitch. We've talked about Ian Hamilton on this on this cast uh, that his slider is weird, um, but there's a great piece on on B Baseball Prospectus today about uh, they're they're calling it a slambio uh, because <laughs> Gilbert and Hamilton both throw really low spin uh, gyro sliders 
that are like 89 miles an hour. And uh, they're just uh, really strange because they have, it's almost almost zero, zero. Just like if you, if you shot a bullet, you know, th that's what the bullet has a lot of gyro spin. It has no seams on it and has tons of spin, a bullet does. So it just, it just goes straight. And so these, these have a lot of spin and somehow, or not a lot of spin, but they also don't catch the air anyway with the seams. And so they have almost no movement. And it's been really effective. And I think for Gilbert, the, the key is really that he can command it well and it's 89 miles an hour and it looks like his fastball hmm. uh, until it's not. But, you know, Stuff Plus loves his slider more than even um, than Hamilton's uh, uh, Slambio. Um, and it likes his curveball for once. Mm. So, uh, you know, it never really liked his curveball before. He's made some changes to that. I don't know. Uh, it's a it's a great fastball. Usually it's a little bit down this year, but I would say it's a great fastball, great extension, great velo, great movement. Uh, and he's sort of figured out how to put the, the right pitches around it. You know, it's I think this is the, the sort of art of developing a starting pitcher. You think... Oh, the Mariners are like, hey, everybody has to learn a sweeper. Logan Gilbert, you got to learn a sweeper. It's not actually uh, maybe a great mix for his arm slot, and he can't command it, but it's the hot pitch. Everyone's got to learn it. He comes up to the big leagues. He's like, guys, I can't command this thing. I got to ditch this, this sweeper. Goes to the gyro slider, wants to do the Verlander gyro slider, uh, but then finds his own version of it, and uh, now he's really thriving. So when I see this sort of stuff happen, I, I tend to believe. Yeah, there's oh, a ton to like in this profile, and I'm just looking at this split finger that's popped up on here, too. He's throwing that 12.5% of the time, according to Savant. The spin rate on that is 899. Is that right? Is that a glitch? Like, what? what is that? I've never, I've never seen a three-digit spin. I think because uh, his slider uh, spin rate is 1,500, and that, that's incredibly uh, small, too. Hmm. So he's found a way to, like, you know, not spin his pitches is <laughs> really working for him. Also, his curveball is the hardest has ever been plus the most downward movement he's ever been. So, uh, somehow he's, uh, found like, like just having these harder breaking balls has work has been really working for him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So I had this problem that came up with Gilbert. I had Gilbert on a team. It's a 12-team AL only keeper league where everybody's looking for pitching. My team's been really hurt. And I got an offer that I thought was pretty fair from a friend of ours. Actually, St. Danny actually made this offer. And I was offered Taj Bradley 
plus Bo Naylor. It's the two-catcher, ale-only keeper league with OBP mm. for Logan Gilbert. And the salaries were pretty fair. Keeper years were pretty even. That would be pretty tempting. I, I always took like it. to get a bat for my pitcher. Yeah, I, I took it because I thought I'd believe in Bo Naylor. And I think... Well, now Bo Naylor can't throw out a single base runner in, in the minor leagues. Yeah. I, <laughs> the trade was made before Taj Bradley came back up. Yeah. So he was struggling at AAA, but it was also made before the report about Bo Naylor not being able to throw out base runners came out. <laughs> but my, my instinct was, you know, even though I like Gilbert and he's a, he's a great AL only keeper, as much as any pitcher can be a good keeper, it's like, well, I'm getting a guy that I like just about as much in Bradley, plus I'm getting Bo Naylor. This actually seems pretty good. And the thing that nudged me over the edge was actually a quick glance at the projections and going, oh, okay, mm. projections don't like Logan Gilbert as much as I do. Get out of my own head, make this trade, it's a fair offer. Make yourself better for the future, and um, it's it's the perfect kind of fair trade because I think a week has now passed, ten days have passed, and now you hate it. And I would just no, like if it were offered to me again, <laughs> I might just flip it back the other way and be like, yeah, that's probably good. And I'd, I'd probably like agonize about whether or not I was right to switch again. So it's this yeah. like super fun <laughs> deal that um, I didn't expect to happen. The interesting thing about Tosh Bradley, by the way, I'm glad I snuck him into the rundown for personal reasons. <laughs> He may have a two-step this week. They confirmed he's going to start against the Blue Jays on Tuesday. If they stay on schedule with him, he would go again on Sunday, also against the Dodgers. Is That's this a, a two-step two step. that you actually want, even though Taj has been really good at the big league level? Do you trust him for that? Um, I'm throwing him, but my main is in last place. And we, oh, <laughs> we, no. We're in the, uh, you know, we got to do something phase. So we are not only throwing him uh, as a two-step this week, we are throwing Luis Ortiz uh, in a two-step against the Rangers at home. And... <laughs> I saw that tweet. It was The uh, Mariners in yeah, Seattle. Yeah, yeah, it was like two... The Rangers have been putting some big numbers on the board. Oh, shush you. So there's that. And the Mariners are going to get better. It was exactly the kind of two-step where you look at it and you're like, that's right on the borderline and I'm and probably going to take it. is not showing any command and I think the stuff is still there. But, you know, I think it's interesting just to put Logan Gilbert next to Taj Bradley and Luis Ortiz. It's like, you know, Logan Gilbert has gone through all this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's, there's some value in he's made the adjustments and figured out how to make his arsenal work together. Like, I don't know that I'm out on rookie pitchers like forever, but I definitely am not going to have as I'm not going to do a big bid. Uh, like I did this year on Taj Bradley in, uh, in the main, I think next year, because like how many rookie pitchers have we had come up, you know? And like, how many times can you spend $200 on a rookie pitcher? And then there's all these like other pitchers that are like making the adjustments and, you know, becoming the pitchers we thought they'd be like, remember the hype around Logan Gilbert when he first came up. Logan Gilbert was big fab. I think that was reasonably well spent until the very end of the season. The ratios got a little bit bumpy at the end. George Kirby last year, I think was big fab. Well spent. He was, yeah, that's true. It can work, but I think the problem, the best way to solve the problem is to work backwards. Just like you don't want to be in a position to have to make a big triple-digit bid on a closer, you want to have enough closers going into the season. Sometimes they get hurt, you have to deal with that, fine, you got to chase saves because there's an overall component to those leagues and you can't be bad in any categories. So you have to kind of desperate times call for desperate measures it and, and just fight for closers like everybody else does. 
I think the balance of starting pitchers on the roster at the beginning of the season needs to be even more extreme on the pitcher side. I know Dalton Del Don from Yahoo has been just going straight yellow down the draft board for the last two seasons at least. And I think you're going to see a few more people adopt strategies like that or at least similar to that where they're going to say, screw this. I went through an entire season where I had to overpay for pitchers who were young and had innings caps and bad injury histories and all of that's a choice. Mason Miller was a choice. We knew the risks. We went for it. We got burned. Unfortunately, Mason Miller is going to be the most expensive player you paid for in fab that you cut a few weeks later this year. That's just the truth. Mason Miller was a drop for me this weekend. Hopefully he's back in July, but hey, that money's spent. That's gone. Doesn't matter. I don't get, it's just gone. (laughs) Don't cry for me, Argentina. Right. Again, I looked at the profile. I know why he didn't throw that many innings the last couple of years. And I said, (laughs) screw that. That doesn't matter. YOLO. I'm going to win. And, well, I'm not going to win because of that, so I'm going (laughs) to win despite that. But you avoid these problems by doing better, getting more on draft day. How much more have you trusted the hitters that have been available on a week-to-week basis? And look at the prices by comparison. The hitters that are coming up, with exceptions of the occasional top prospect type, the hitters seem to be so much cheaper and more plentiful than the starting pitchers, at least in 15-team leagues, 12s. You can find some pitching still, but it's a little harder in 12. So than it we has won been Matt McLean for how much? 30, 36 or something. That's it? In a 15? Unless he, I, I did see, uh, I've got a co manager. So <laughs> I think there might have been a bump uh, after I was looking because we had him at a certain level. Here, main event, uh, FAB results. We won. Oh, yeah, he bumped it 75, but we would have won it at 36 where we had it. <laughs> yeah, runner ups at 27. But still, $75 for uh, a guy who is the starting shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds and has power and speed. Yeah, you know why he was going to go for 36, though, is because he didn't have Casey Schmidt's first week. He hit 211 for his first week, drove in one run, didn't homer, didn't steal a base. But that still could. Keeps the hype down. And in fact, has more of a hold on a job than Casey Schmidt, I feel like. It's pretty that comparable, but. 45% K rate in the first week. So that probably helps scare people away. But if Matt McClain hits a couple homers, steals a base or two in his first week and strikes out 28% of the time instead of 45% of the time, you're paying three or four times as much. That's just the way it is. It's the overreaction to a little bit of information. Yeah. If he gets called up on a Saturday and he's in the pool and we only get one game, he costs more because there's not a four-game run going into the Sunday bidding where we have, oh, yeah, here's, here's what he's doing so far. We're pricing him based off of the speed and what he did at AAA, and I don't know, man. Like I, I just, my, my frustration with Fab, it goes beyond that it runs on Sunday evenings now. That used to be my only frustration with Fab, and now I'm starting to hate it for other reasons. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's just it's not easy in, on no. any level. Like, I don't even think the hitters are easy, so that's the only pushback that I had for for you on that, but um, I am trying to find something. Oh, it's see if I can find it. I, I, you know, I think the injury has been the real thing. Like, even if you did, even if you did do um, that strategy, where you had a lot of pitchers, right? Just like come with me on a ride through the top thirty, <laughs> the preseason top thirty on my on my uh, on my ranks, right? 
Dave DeGrom, hurt. Spencer Strider, fine. Corbin Burns, not as good as he was, but fine. Garrett Cole, fine. Shoyo Otani, fine. Shane McClanahan, fine. Day, we did okay in the top six. Sandy Alcantara, hurting, probably because of the shift and allowing people in, in uh, balls in play. Justin Verlander just came back from being hurt. Dylan Cease, struggling. Kevin Gossman, fine. Zach Wheeler, fine. Zach Allen, fine. Hey, I'm doing all right. This, doesn't make, this isn't making the point I want to. Here we go. Dustin May, hurt, you Darvish, fine. Max Scherzer, just back from hurt. Clayton Kershaw on his way to being hurt. Aaron Nola, Velo down. Uh, Luis Castillo, fine. Framer Valdez, fine. This is really not making my point. Here, well, come and on. the guys that have Where's been hurt have had now? recent Glass injuries. Glass now hurt. Rodon hurt. Rasmussen hurt. All of those guys are red flag guys, and I like them. That's I true. Like they them. were red flag guys. It's true. Uh, and I mostly, I, I, I did okay with my ranks, huh? Like so far, that's those were. That seems like it's all good. Like then it goes Bieber, who's been just about a top twenty-five guy with the with the reduced strikeout rate. Joe Ryan, George Kirby, Logan Webb. Uh, it's just, uh, you know what the point I made? I'm good at ranking pitchers. Is the point I made? I think the point is if a guy has <laughs> a bad injury history, it holds up. It tends to Max Freed at twenty nine was a bit of a uh, had some some red flags in his uh, in his arsenal. Yeah, you're right. And then when you really start getting to the guys who are getting hurt, mo- most of them, you know, you kind of knew like Luis Severino. Uh, man, I, I stayed out of injury for the top fifty. So you really want to get as many top fifty pitchers as you can, right? <laughs> is that what we've learned? Sure. So if, let's say, you were sitting down in Las Vegas and it's March of 2024 and it's the NFBC main event, you made it. You're there in person. You've uh, done a good job on Friday night eating delicious Thai food but not drinking too many beers. You're sitting there Saturday morning and the draft's about to start and you get your flow chart. How many of your first 10 picks are starting pitchers? You're trying to decide on that today based on what's happened to you right now. I think three or four, three, four. Is that only like one more than typical? So you're not, you're not going like all the way to the other side. Well, I got I mean, I think, I think I four pitchers, so three starters. You're so you're kind of a closer as one of those. Four, maybe five pitchers, four starters. That's more where I'm at. More like fifty-fifty instead yeah. of. Usually for me, it's two relievers in the first ten rounds, minimum two starters. But then right after that shelf. After round 10, that pick 150 range, there's a bunch of starters I like. But the reason those starters are there many times is because they've missed time because of injuries. And maybe what we're going to learn is that, you know, we've known this for a long time. Past injury often gives you a guide to future injury. But what if the pitch clock, if it hurts everyone, but if it takes guys who are more, who are already injury prone and makes them even more likely to get hurt? What if it adds risk to an already risky group of pitchers there was a good new piece about this um on baseball prospectus uh that sort of sort of fed off the piece that we did um and the new data that they brought to bear was that the slower pitchers are getting hurt more the people that were slower paced last year are getting hurt more this year yeah i kind of thought that was a possibility just because they had a bigger adjustment to make like they were pushing their bodies a further distance from where they were to where they had to be than guys who were either right close to the limit only had to move a little bit or guys who were already pitching fast enough because they were already trained and conditioned to deal with working as quickly as you have to work now. If that is uh, a truth, a, a true thing, 
uh, and that pitchers last year that were uh, slow are getting hurt more. Um, if you want something sort of actionable about that, um, I would say that um, I did do something based on this. Mm. We picked up Chris Martin in our main. And I think that Chris Martin is an interesting pickup because I think he's very definitely the setup guy in Boston. And Kenley Jansen has seen some velo ups and downs this year already. He's had injury uh, history and he was the second slowest or third slowest uh, pitcher in baseball last year. Um, you know, if you want to pick up Hunter Harvey behind Kyle Finnegan, uh, Finnegan was fourth. Um, I think that, I, I think that seems like a, a fine way to do things, um, uh, in terms of starting pitchers, um, I think that it was Shohei Otani and I'm trying to find the other starting pitchers here. Uh, Corbin Burns. That's interesting with the velo down on him. Michael Kopech, you Darvish, uh, Alec Manoa. Lucas Giolito. So uh, there's some there's some struggles there uh, with the slower pitchers and uh, possibly uh, future injury if if you believe this. But um, you know I, I wouldn't uh, trade one of those starting pitchers away because they're healthy. <laughs> you know? um, and right now, uh, healthy starting pitching in the big leagues is super scarce, and in fantasy, it's it's, it's a rough go. But um, it is something to think about. Yeah, there's a, a lot there. I, I'm also wondering if we have some guys who've been in the minor leagues who dealt with the pitch clock already and maybe if they're less likely to be hurt because they've been conditioned a little bit longer for an extra yeah, they, season they or never, two. They, they don't even think about it anymore. Like when I ask a young pitcher about it, they're just like, uh, what? I don't know. I mean, it's yeah, still it still could cause injuries but the pitchers that have already adapted to it might be less likely to get hurt compared to their that and the data says that veterans yeah, it's yeah. a good piece so interesting let's get to some uh, some other pitching matters and let's talk about Jamison Tyone for a moment oh that's not ratio punishment just absolutely disastrous last week and it it goes back before last week. I think what what it did for me, what what Jamison Tyon did last week, ten earned runs in total of seven innings over the two starts. What that did for me was really open my eyes to the fact that he had a six forty one ERA and a one forty seven WHIP prior to doing that. And I liked Tyon quite a bit going to the season. I thought he was one of those players that right around pick two hundred was a good value. I thought his home park was going to make him really stable. Thinking. He's only had three home starts so far this year. In two of those, he's failed to even pitch into the fifth inning. It's been mm. rough for him so far. And the K's last week, even while he was just banging up the ratios this week, it wasn't like he got seven K's in those seven innings. He got two. So you took a ton of dead weight in terms of ratios. But what's wrong with Tyon overall? Like, Why are things going so poorly for him? Because getting out of Yankee Stadium for half of his starts seemed like a surefire step forward for him. If anything, it just made it possible, in my mind, for him to repeat what he did last year more easily, even if he took a small step back skills-wise. 
Yeah, I don't know, man. He was super excited about the sweeper and the, you know, stuff model likes the sweeper. So it gives him, you know, an above average uh, gyro slider, a, a plus sweeper, uh, a decent cutter. Uh, I, you know, his sinker looks like average in the model. Uh, you know, even his locations are not bad. He's above average location plus on every pitch except for the change. I don't like. I don't have an answer because I really thought the change in park and, and division would be you know great for him, and I don't even know if, if I can afford to drop him considering how unhealthy the rest of the league is. <laughs> uh, you know, even by something as simple as K minus BB, he's slightly above average. You know, you'd think that he would at least be a guy you can play in certain matchups. You know, I, in retrospect. If we played the, uh, if we made him a matchup starter, we could have avoided some of those blowups. Uh, I should not have started him at Philadelphia. Yeah, but you had to start him at Houston with it as part of a two-start week. So it just kind of like the Taj problem. Taj Bradley to <laughs> me is better than Jamison Tyon, but the same sort of I trust this guy enough. It's two starts. If he's bad in one, he'll be good in the other. It'll be a four fifty ERA week, but I'll get a win and I'll get. 10 to 12 K's and it'll be worth blasted. it. And he got blasted. Two on the road is tough. If we did play the uh, single game daily uh, leagues, uh, would you start? Would you start him? I mean, this is sort of in retrospect, it's opening day, but like I think we would have started him at home against Milwaukee opening day, right? 100%. And, yeah. All right. So how about uh, Texas that that uh, next week texas is showing a little bit of offense but that's a home attempt yeah i would have started we still would have used them because at that point we didn't know as much about this rangers lineup as we do now they would have been more in the yeah it's okay we like tie on enough play them it's home so play now em. you got nine innings and seven earned runs but at least you have uh nine strikeouts so you're like okay at least he's striking guys out at the dodgers with your nine earned run <laughs> era and like the seven era in your back pocket I think you almost wouldn't have played him. You wouldn't have played him. Even if he pitched really well in his first two starts, you would have said, oh, at LA, I'm going to use my next best option. I, I don't like it. I don't like He's throwing. right on that line anyway. Yep. Going in. Yep. So you would have missed the best start of the season. Five, the five scoreless. Imagine that. You would have. <laughs> if you had you active probably the whole after time, that would have been like at Washington. Sure. At Washington, you would have thrown him. He only went three. That was coming off an injury. St. Louis is scuffling then. So you you really it was home too. So you probably would have been in on that. I would have been in on that. I was in on that. I lived it. I was there. So you would you would have gotten to this place in worse shape than you, <laughs> if you just start him every time. I uh, I but I still I just think that there's some value here. There's no I don't know. I don't really see an obvious like oh you know there's a real problem here that he needs to fix. Um, you know, he's, he used to have reverse splits and the sweeper, uh, should be, uh, making him better against righties. Maybe the reverse splits weren't actually, uh, believable because lefties are the team are the side that are killing him this year. Yeah. It's tough. He's got two at home for his next two starts. He's home against the Mets this week. Mm-hmm. Right on that Which I'm actually, of- I'm actually, I've sat him <laughs> just because I would have pitched him before, but I just need to see something from him now. In a 15, he might just be in because I don't think I have a better option. And at 12, I probably have something better on my bench. And then next week, he's home against the Rays. You're going to throw him even at home against what's been the league's best offense so far? Yeah. That's rough. So now he's going to turn it around on our benches for the next two weeks. Which one is the sweeper? 
It must be <laughs> the curve. It must be the curve that's a sweeper. He's still throwing it to lefties. This could be part. This could be part of it. So you don't see anything that's totally broken, which means if he's available, you're picking him up, and you might even try to make a small trade. To I think get he's him. having a little bit of the Clark Schmidt problem because he's throwing his sweeper because he loves it and he thinks it's great. He's throwing it to lefties, and lefties have a 429 ISO against it. It's big. It's a big ISO. It reminds me of the Clark Schmidt problem. I think there's a certain amount of pitchers that have this new sweeper and are excited about it because the stuff model and because they can see the they can see the movement right uh, and it's it's a very compelling pitch but we you know we just wrote this whole piece about how it has the worst uh, platoon splits in baseball i want to see now um because clark schmidt just came off one of his best starts i want to see now his usage against lefties what has he done uh he's weirdly started using the sinker more i had to wash his hands this weekend too did he yeah that was the drama on friday night i think but he's still throwing his sweeper 20 percent of the time to, to lefties and uh i guess they're not bludgeoning it okay no the sweeper is the slider 375 ISO against this slider from lefties against the sweeper. Like these pitchers need to stop using the sweeper against lefties. I think that's it. And you got to think that a, that somebody could be in his ear and tell him that because he didn't used to have a sweeper and he didn't get used to get blasted by lefties. So you could be like, dude, just be your old self against lefties. You remember the stuff that used to work <laughs> yeah, in a park stuff. where lefties could destroy you? <laughs> Try that. Yeah. Yeah, throw your cutter and your old slider against lefties and throw your sweeper against righties. I don't know. It's like a it's a shiny new toy syndrome or something. But it seems like, you know, it seems I I would rather would you rather this sort of story from Tyon or like he's down, you know, two miles an hour on the fastball? Oh, I'd much rather have the nothing's been wrong. It's it's strategic thing because that's so much more fixable. Yeah, that's what I that's what I think, because what like was the easiest thing to do next start? Change your pitch mix. Yeah. That's a lot easier than change the shape or get velo back or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think uh, I don't want to like declare him like a, a buy low that you have to go trade assets for, but like, you know, he's probably on wires, you he know? Probably and is after can, this past week. Yeah. If you can just pick him up and just put him on your bench and just watch him for a little bit, I, this is a guy who used to be a quality pitcher. It's not like he's just going to unlearn that all in one off in one off season. If you get a gem this week, that doesn't change anything for you about throwing him against the Rays, right? That was just a bad idea. Is it two or three weeks it? ago? Is right it in Tampa. It's, it's home. It's at Wrigley. I mean, I'd I, I'd like to know maybe weather stuff. You know, I think that maybe some of this. I, I don't know if we can retroactively do the weather thing for him, but like Wrigley plays very differently from start to start. So if I could have some sense of what the weather was like and, you know, if it was a day game or whatever, those things might matter to me. Because if it was in Tampa, I might actually pitch him if he has a good start this weekend against the Mets. You know what I mean? Interesting. Well, usually, not always, usually the wind is more likely to blow in than out. Usually it's more pitcher friendly. If you could find out ahead of time going to the week that the wind might be blowing out with some force, especially. Yeah, it's hard to do on a weekly thing. It's more of a daily, like, you know, 
what's yeah. the weather like today kind of thing on a weekly uh yeah tampa has a pretty good offense i think i'd probably uh sit him another week but if he then had two good starts uh in a row then i think you know i'd be much more likely to start looking at him that next start that next week yeah story could change with a few more outings good to see that there's nothing actually broken looking underneath with jameson tyon let's talk about graham Ashcraft, who's fallen on some difficult times in May, most specifically just two bad starts. One blow up at home against the White Sox. The White Sox put eight earned runs on him in one and two thirds back on May 7th. The Rockies got him again at Coors for seven. And that was earned. so weird because I, I watched that game and he was dealing for four innings. I was like, he's going to get out of Coors alive, dude, after I you know, <laughs> would never have started him here. I, I think that there is, I, I know that his career splits are somehow uh, better away than, ho- uh, better at home than away. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's Memorex. Was it real or Memorex? Uh, if you look under the hood, uh, he has allowed the same Woba away in a home. And that's weird because uh, his home park is uh you know a big inflator of offense but anyway the story for me and every ashcraft start that i've watched is deals for three innings and then the wheels fall off and so uh i would be much more likely to have started him uh very conservatively so i if we play the when would you have started him i would have started him at miami uh at pittsburgh and home against pittsburgh so I would have started him maybe three out of the starts he's had so far. And and I'm a guy who's high on him, but we had him as a four true talent ERA going into the season, which means basically a four, three, uh, because of the way the run environment has changed. Um, and that's with stuff improving his projections. So I think this is a guy who's a league average starter, um, with the, the way that he is currently because of the lack of a third pitch. Um, and if you were very careful with him, if you p- did my plan, the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, uh, at Miami plan, you would have given up, uh, four earned runs in, uh, 18 innings. I think the temptation with Ashcraft though, is that he gets a ton of ground balls and the White Sox are pretty banged up in the early part of May. I think. There's a little more. Is that who he's got next? That's who he had when he got roughed up for eight runs earlier oh, yeah, in the that month. One. Yeah, I yeah. think that would have been one where people would have been pretty tempted to play him, especially because he went into it with a two ERA and a one one seven WHIP. So yeah, uh, you maybe you would have avoided it. Most people, and I would have been on this group for sure. I would have been comfortable throwing him there. He's a ground ball guy. Right, he can right. he can handle his home park better than some of the other starters there. So I would have talked myself into that, and I would have taken on all of that. I think this is an okay time to pick him up cheap in dynasty leagues because there's a, uh, there's a real foundation here Uh, with the cutter and the sweeper. He's got two really good pitches and, you know, just having come this far, I think on two pitches like that, I think that is, there is some proof here of, of concept. He needs a, he just needs another pitch. The sinker is not it. He's not been able to use it. He's not using it. He's become a two pitch pitcher. The two pitches don't create whiffs on the same level as Hunter Green or Spencer Strider, so that is not an option for him. I think he would really benefit from a poor curveball, just a slow curveball that he can drop in the zone. You know, because it would be something that would come in at 79 after he's below 97s, and they would probably all spit on it. Then he gets a called strike. Ah, oh, called strike. 
now here comes the sweeper or here comes the cutter right so and then you get make people play a little bit with that you know 80 to 98 uh kind of difference in velo you know so i do think that long term he's still someone i'm interested in uh but this year i'm being super careful with him anybody that projects i think for like a 4-3 era you got to be careful with you know we were just saying to be careful with jameson tyon he projects for like a high threes right right and he doesn't have to deal with great american ballpark for half the starts even though i think ashcraft's skills fit that park better than other pitchers that they try to roll through as kind of mid and back end sort of starters i don't have any proof of this but there this is something that i've heard from players and coaches which is that it's possible that this year is all about the um the like blow up like that the clock helps you get into a bad place <laughs> things can spiral on you more easily yeah, because you don't have the time to settle down kind of regroup yeah, it's sort no, of like there's mistake. no time for breathing exercises and you right. know and going through the things that your sports psychologist told you to go through you just got to keep throwing and it's just like the, it's just like a, a ball gathering steam like you know a ball gathering velocity going downhill like it's just it's a car crash you know sometimes and so I wonder if there have been more blowups this year because I just feel like, yes, the run environment is up. But when I tell you that the run environment is up bigger than it's been, uh, other than like maybe f- there have been five bigger run environment increases uh, in the free agency era, you're like, okay, so it's like a top six run. In- it's like it's a little bit less than 2019, but somehow. Uh, maybe 2019 does capture it. There were times in 2019 where you're just like, I don't understand what's happening. You know, like I have a good pitcher here and he has a five and a half ERA. You know, <laughs> like that's how I feel again this year. So maybe it is a little bit like 2019, but there are there are guys that just have just the hugest ERAs that you're just looking at being like, I don't, <laughs> like what happened? <laughs> this wasn't happening last year, was it? So between the injury and these like, huge ERAs, it's been a really rough year for pitching. Yeah, it really has been. And it's it's not just pitchers that are struggling. You see a few hitters that have underperformed recently. I don't think I have them anywhere this year just because of where I was drafting. But Julio Rodriguez has actually been pretty quiet throughout May. Uh, we're not going to look at 17 games for any hitter with a ceiling like this and say, he's broken. You don't want him in the first round next year. Give up. It's not like that. But we're looking at a guy who's now hitting 204, 280, 376 so far this season. The barrel rates are still solid. The chase rate's the same as it was a season ago within less than a percentage point. So there's not much that's changed there. He's still stealing bases. And when he connects, he is still hitting for power. He's got seven homers on the season. Any concerns here outside of maybe just the young player going through typical adjustments? The league adjusts and the hitters do adjust back. And it's just kind of a, a cat and mouse game, as we've described it in the past. Is is there anything else with Julio that would give you some concerns? Uh, you know, the the book has, has not changed on him. Uh, they're trying to uh, hit the outside, uh, low and outside corner. Uh, this year as they have in the past Uh, and he is trying not to swing at those pitches Um, and this year you know you know chase rate doesn't always capture everything um, because 
there is also like swinging at the pitches they want you to swing at that are in the zone. You know, <laughs> like there is a sort of cat and mouse within the zone because it's hard to cover every spot in the zone. Um, but uh, he's been chasing low and off the plate a little bit. And uh, if you look at his O swing and use that maybe as like a proxy for, you know, what his approach has been like, he has been chasing a little bit less uh, as the season has progressed. I talked to him about this being like, okay, they're, they're really trying to backdoor you uh, and, and throw low and away uh, pitches, you know, like when do you decide that's a problem that you need to, you know, do something big about um, or, you know, just it's just, uh, you know, a couple weeks and everything will be fine in a week from now without a big change. And he said there's always room for like making day to day changes, but, you know, big changes, uh, you know, that. He just didn't really think that that was, you know, he, that was what was in the cards for him. So I think this is, uh, you know, pitchers think that they have a hole on him, but if he's able to, to do what he's doing, um, with them trying to exploit the oldest hole in the book, you know, like blown away, you know, like, <laughs> uh, I have a feeling that, uh, he's going to be fine. Yeah, this gets me back to a question that we may have talked about on the show once before. This came from Chris uh, about two or so weeks ago. Uh, and Chris just wrote in that he was looking at hard hit percentage. You know, anything above 95 miles per hour, of course, qualifies as a hard hit. And we just looking at batting average on hard hit balls. And I ran that stat cast search to see anything hit over 95. You know, what does batting average look like on those balls? Julio Rodriguez is 293rd out of 306 players. I think I set the minimum to like 20 play on appearances. BABIP on 95 mile an hour? Yeah, he's hitting 344 on balls that he's hit 95 plus. And Kyle Tucker is down in this same range where you start to find players that are struggling that shouldn't be on this list. I think George Springer came up on the last episode or one of the episodes last week as someone that we're like, hey, what's, what's going on with George Springer? Eh, it looks kind of like just... Uh, um, it's kind of like zooming in on Babbitt. Like, is what's happening on balls in play like really bad luck? This would kind of point you in that direction to suggest that it is. Yeah, and it's not just that he's doing poorly on the hard hits that he's doing that he's hitting. It's that he's also hitting the pitches hard a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so you know it's it's kind of uh, a double whammy in this case where like he's got. Uh, you know, among hard hit rates, he is uh, 25th in the big leagues. And uh, so in that top 30, um, he's got the lowest slugging percentage, except for MJ Melendez and Ahmed Rosario. So those are, those are different kinds of players. And that's it, it, this doesn't tell you everything, obviously. But uh, if you look at these slugging percentages, I'm eyeballing it. But if you average them out, I'm sure you actually get somewhere around 500 <laughs> as a slugging percentage. Because you've got some 600s and some a bunch of 600s on here. Lots of 500s. I mean, this list that, that I'm, that, you know, is headed by Matt Chapman, 514 slugging. Judge is second in hard hit, 642. Juan Soto is third, 473 slugging. Yandy Diaz is, is fourth, 611 slugging. Wisdom is fifth, right? You know, like... There's some value to hitting the ball hard. We know this. And uh, he's hitting the ball hard. You know, he's not getting good results on it. But in terms of strikeout rate and walk rate and ground ball rates, he's nothing looks like it's really in trouble. I just filtered the list down to. And he's 50. stealing bases again, you know? 
Oh yeah, he's he's doing he's doing the things that he needs to do to get there. So I am not worried. I think we're seeing he could end up with a thirty thirty season, and he's probably not going to hit two hundred four while doing it. Right, it's pretty unlikely. The other end of that list has some guys on it that have been really good so far. Right, Jared Kelnick hitting six twenty three on hard hit balls among players with fifty or more plate appearances. That's number one in the league. Nolan Gorman at six twelve. Aaron Judge. I guess I'm not surprised he's up there. He's at six eleven. Cedric Mullins, I think I just saw Mullins hit another home run over the weekend. He's been getting to his power a little more than I've expected. So I wonder if you look at the the top of that list and say that's a little bit of good luck, you know, probably over their skis slightly based on expectations, bottom of the list, you know, opposite. I want to pair it also, though, with just a sense of how often they hit the ball hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, Kelly could get fewer results on his hard hit balls, but also just hit so many that it's still fine. <laughs> I mean, like he could go from 600 to 500 and that on those balls and still, if he hits a bunch of them, it's, it's great, right? Like I'm a little bit more concerned sometimes when I see someone with a decent slugging and a really low hard hit rate. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, uh, Estory Ruiz uh, does not have the, the hard slugging, but he's the poster child for the softly, you know, the, the low hard hit rate. There's something we've been talking about for years, but uh, years, it seems like, probably not. <laughs> um, like one. Yeah, but, one but a lot over the last year. But, you know, the other the, t- the types of people on this bottom of this list are Miles Straw, 290 slugging, Andres Jimenez, Andres Jimenez, 342, Luis Arise, 476, but he's that's a lot of Babbitt love. Haseon Kim, Whit Merrifield, Ruiz, Stephen Kwan, Dubon, Frazier, Dominic Smith, not a pickup for me. Uh, I guess the 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 names that do make me pause on this are Isak Paredes and Brian Anderson, Cody Bellinger, Jeremy Pena. Um, those are and Alex Bregman. Those are pretty good players. Gleyber Torres, Xander Bogarts. Those are pretty good players. But I think it does tell you a little bit about maybe where their slugging percentages are going to end up. So maybe Cody Bellinger is a little bit over his skis with a 4.93 slugging. You know. And maybe Brian Anderson is someone you kind of want to play at home more than you want to play on the road. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know who's still frustrating to me? And this is a guy we've been talking about for years. Is Kibrian Hayes. He still oh is not getting to his power. There's improvement, though, this year. He's down to a 14.5% K rate. That's a career best. He didn't have a strikeout problem to begin with. But he also said he's not going to join the launch angle revolution, whatever that means. He's hitting the ball in the air more than he's ever hit it in the air, so he's doing it by accident. (laughs) But he must not be hitting it very hard when he hits it in the air because he's still slugging 351. It's the worst pull rate of his career. He's just not getting the ball out in front, I don't think. Oh, It's so frustrating because when we went into the season, we thought, okay, if nothing else... He's going to steal bases at third base, which he's doing. He's six for 11, though, right now. Hit so for a batting average, you'd expect. Average should go up if the power doesn't show up. He should hit for 260, 270 average. The bad X still has him at 270 the rest of the way. And 280 XBA. Right. So I'm, I'm wondering if this is actually a window to go trade for Cabrian Hayes or to pick him up in a 12-team league and just to see if you actually get more like what we expected, even though... It's still, it looks like more of the same at a glance, but some of the underlying numbers point to there being some growth. It's like, you know, it's a better barrel rate than he's had in the last two years, just by virtue of putting the ball in the air. Again, he has that max EV, so he's got the raw power. So, I mean, it seems like it definitely, there are things that are different this year. 
And uh, and at the very least, yeah, I think you're going to get like 270, 280 going forward. And that means he's going to end up on the season with uh, 250, maybe 10 homers and 25 stolen bases. Like, I'm sure it'll be positive fantasy value in most leagues. It's tough right now, but I, if you, if I give you 250, 10 homers and, and 25 stolen bases, don't you think that'd be positive value in almost every league? Yes. Yeah. Even though and steals are easier to find. Yes. The, the ball flies better in warmer weather. We're getting to warmer weather. He's putting the ball in the air more. I think he's going to get a good on a little mini streak for power and, and get to that 10 homers. So, and I think in dynasty leagues, we're talking about a 26 year old with raw power that has a high floor in terms of uh, at least giving you stolen bases and batting average most years. And so I think he's still acquirable. Could be oatmeal. Could be oatmeal with some pecans chopped up and some apples and dried fruit. And, and a some peak nice year between 26 and 20 and 30, like could be one of those years. Like think about Yandy Diaz, right? Is mm. he, does he have like a very different profile than Yandy Diaz? Not really. The big difference for me is that Yandy for a long time hit for average. Like you knew you were getting that average. But Brian Hayes should, because in terms of underlying <laughs> process, it's similar. He doesn't quite have the eye that, that Yandy has, I guess. Yeah, yeah, strike zone judgment, really good for Yandy Diaz. Uh, lost power for Cabrian Hayes. I would say it's similar to what Ryan McMahon and Andrew Benintendi have shown us, too. Benintendi's been awful. And- oh, I thought he would, uh, you know, never do this. Never do what I did with Andrew Benintendi. This is bad prod- process. I saw that he changed his swing to fit Kansas City, and so he became a contact-oriented guy, and that, and I said, oh, that's just in Kansas City. And he even said, I'd like to pull for more power in this new stadium in Chicago. But don't believe them. You know what I mean? Like, wait until you see something. Don't be like, oh, he's just going to change his swing when you haven't seen anything that says he is. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, pulling the ball for power works everywhere. Like right. that's that's the thing. Like it's it's the other types of power that can be more extreme based on park factors. But just about everywhere, if you pull it that's true. and hit it hard, it's gonna be good because down and the how line, likely it's is closer. That he can undo something that just got him a decent contract. You know what I mean? <laughs> five ah. years, seventy-five million dollar deal. Is he really gonna change change everything about what he's doing after signing that contract? It's so strange to me. I don't understand. If he had something that was working in 2021, why on earth would he do something to change that? That makes no sense to me. None. Yeah. Well, I mean, then he had, I guess, a good year. And the, and once you hit 300, that might be like catnip. Um, <laughs> Is it? Yeah. 300 still carries a lot of weight among players. They still care about that. I think so. It'd even, be so even... much fun to hit 20 home runs and to hit 300. As long as you're not like horrible in batting average to get there. If you're hitting... 205 with a 260 OBP to get your 20 home runs. That's miserable. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely a better player when he hit 271 and hit 20 homers in 217. Right. The way that Andrew Benintendi hit 20 home runs back in 2017, that's a fun way to hit 20 home runs. Or 2018 when he hit 16 homers and hit 290. He was stealing bases then, too. Yeah. It's, uh, he's 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 like one of those toolsy guys that uh, he's hit the ball out uh, into the water in Staten Island. Um. And he definitely has the raw power, but that's fallen off too. Like he he used to hit the ball 110. Now he's hitting the ball 105.7 as max. So I think he's I think he's got bad coaching or something. Like I think there's other versions of Andrew Penedetti that are better. But I don't want to 
bet on the White Sox to uncover that because they don't seem to be doing a really good job in uh, in hitting coaching. It comes and goes. At least um, we've seen a few of their bats wake up here in the last few weeks. But uh, I think with Ryan McMahon, the approach looked like it was headed in the right direction late last season. It seemed like he was starting to pull the ball to get to the power more consistently. He talked about that in the spring. He's you know he's got the best barrel rate of his career, so he is getting the ball out in front more. But it's had a deleterious effect on his strikeout rate. Very odd. Thirty-two percent K rate. Not out of bounds though, compared to the upper ends of his earlier career ranges. Are you buying in on this that he can make a few yeah. adjustments and and give us the season we were hoping for? I actually think this is a little bit like the Hayes thing, where you're like, hey, you know, this is actually good. Rook, I think it's not a rook anymore, but like, <laughs> hey, kid, keep it up, you know. Like, I think uh, getting to a twelve point five percent barrel rate is good. That's a good idea. He should do that. Yeah. That's the type of hitter he is. He's a guy that should walk. He should be more patient than he is, but he's he's got a decent eye, and when he hits the ball, he should hit it for power. There's so. pretty good projections agreement on him too. With all the different methodology between zip steamer, the bat, the Basically, bat X. 250 to 260 with 16 homers, 15 to 16 homers. And pretty good counting stats. So close to a league average bat that maybe plays I up a I will say bit. that in my main, we've like, we're, anytime we can get them out of the lineup on the road, we, we have been. So it's true of most of their bats, though. Yeah. So that's the, the usual problem that we've got. Hey, solve Ryan a problem McMahon. for me. Okay. I'll, I'll try to help you. I'm going to make you work for me. Uh, my, <laughs> my AL labor squad is in first place, um, and, uh, needs pitching and needs saves. Reynaldo Lopez has not been the brilliant, uh, pickup that I thought he would be. Um, and so I'm looking for a second closer behind Duran. And, uh, what I've got is Reynaldo Lopez, uh, Josh Sabors. Uh, Carlos Hernandez. Those are my relievers. I picked up Garrett Acton okay. on the wire because Stuff Plus loves him. He's a great fastball. He's pitching well. There's an opportunity there for him to be a closer. However, uh, I have to drop one of Sabor's Lopez or Carlos Hernandez or not pitch Zach Greinke at home against Detroit this week and put Greinke back on the bench. You probably have to throw Grinky. It's a pretty good start, right? Right. Detroit at home. Yeah. If you, yeah. That's a pretty useful for ratios purposes. Spores is getting the holds in Texas. Renato Lopez is not almost. Jo- Joe Kelly is ahead of him, and now Liam Hendricks is back. Yeah. So I guess how how much do you value having a, a setup guy, a multi-inning setup type guy that you believe in from a skills perspective for me the answer for Ronaldo Lopez is home runs about a major problem the K's are there walk rates up a little he's throwing a sweeper to lefties I'm sorry to say it's true (laughs) uh, yeah Um, Carlos Hernandez is is uh by role is not exactly where I want him to be because he's kind of their opener right now see but to me there's a chance with Carlos Hernandez there's a better chance that the Royals find a more valuable role for Carlos Hernandez than there is Lopez. for the White Sox to do it with Lopez. So that'd be part of my thinking there. Spores. All right, Spores is the guy I know the model likes him because we were looking at the Rangers bullpen a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. Do the Rangers like him? Right. That matters. 
I mean, it's, it's not like you, they're making a lot of decisions in that pen based on stuff. Plus, <laughs> doesn't seem like they have been so far. This is easily the best he's been in his career, really, at the big league level. He hasn't really had a lot of time. But they are giving him it. holds, which is, you know, that's the that's the that's the, the use right there. Has he started to move more into the seventh and eighth? Because I think last time we looked at him, he was pitching kind of in the middle innings instead. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's. Let's see here in his game log. He's got uh, holds in three of his last four appearances. That's pretty good. They they don't really have the back end completely figured out there, so you could make the same kind of argument with Spores, at least in the bullpen, whereas Hernandez could find his role even in the rotation. That's still not out of the question. I mean, they see, they kind of like are doing this weird stretching him out. Lopez has holds in two of his last four appearances, so he's not fully out of the rotation. This is a tough one for me. Uh, there might be... I might just... Might just take the chance to just get one more week of information on the relievers and not throw Granky. I don't hate it because I think you've got a reason to hold each of them, but I almost wonder if Lopez is the smartest cut because he might be the easiest one to get back or the least likely to be expensive to get back. Unless he gets like a save this way. <laughs> but Hendricks is coming back soon. We don't have an exact yeah, date. He's coming yeah. back soon, and there's already other guys taking on those saves, so... When when's the next time you're gonna throw Ronaldo Lopez in your lineup? I mean, here I have to every week, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's weird how bad he's been. Projections have him a four thirty three, a four thirty four, and a one twenty two whip. Yeah, the projections aren't something I really like from the bat. Like, I don't want to put that in my lineup every week. No, you know, not from a reliever. Yeah, that's see. I think you could find. I bet if you look at the wire, you can find some relievers that project more favorably or project equally to Lopez. Well, all the other guys that I mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Acton looks pretty interesting, by the way. He didn't come up on the Friday show this week, but he, of all the A's relievers that have been spinning through in the last year or so. He's like the first one that actually has like kind of eye-popping swing strike strikeout rates in the minors, at least. Yeah. Know? Like my analog method for evaluating players says if he just keeps the ball in the park, which the park should help him do. And a lot of his home run issues popped up. I mean, they got real bad at AAA, but at, that's PCL, right? Vegas. So yeah, I think this could actually work. Yeah, I don't know about the secondaries as much, but you know, you if you're a reliever and you've got a hot fastball, which he does, and it's it's not just hot on on velo. It's at 96, it's it's normal velo, but there's something about the action <laughs> on his pitches. <laughs> He's got. Uh, a, a decent amount of ride for, uh, and like, and it's a, it's a, I think it's a good pitch. Um, but uh, you know, we're gonna learn more as it comes out. We'll see. I'll let you guys know what you do. And then, uh, is it time? Yeah. Is it time? Oh, you, I, you, you have something. I got a game for you. Oh, you quick? have a game for me. This is. I have a game for you. This is uh, my uh, my son and I have been playing uh, this game. And uh, uh, let's see here. Um, oh, this is a good one. All right. So the game is such uh, uh, 2022 tops. Okay. Uh, and uh, he's a pitcher. Uh, I have to tell you his MLB totals in terms of games, 113 games total in his career. Career. And so this is a pitcher? This is a pitcher. And then I start just telling you, reading the the line from 2022 yeah, until you can guess who it, who it is. Yes. Okay. 32 games, 15 and 5 record, 186 innings. Is that Max Fried? Nope. 178 hits, 70 earned runs, 
128 strikeouts in 186 innings. Yikes. With a 338 ERA and a 121 whip. And he went 15 and 5. What? Uh, Luis Garcia? Nope. It's a really, um, really low K rate. Oh, I'm supposed to also tell you his age. He was born in 1995. So we were talking about a young starting pitcher with a poor strikeout rate and good results. Lots of dubs. Hmm. Cole Irvin? That's a good guess. Now you're you're on the right track. Paul Blackburn. You're you're getting you're 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 talking about the right types of pitchers, but uh wrong division. Ah, wrong division. Okay. Mm. Right Ranger league. Suarez? No, I was in the right league. Okay. How about uh, Malley strikes out more guys than that, so it's not him. The let's a super low key. It's not Tyler Malley. No, it's a good guess though. No, too. So you didn't get fifteen wins. The wins thing is such a weird. What do you got? Oh, God. Cal Quantrill. Cal Quantrill. <laughs> it's disgusting. Anyway, it's been a fun game. He oh, just it's has a really a fun of, game. He says a stack of cards, and I have to try and guess them. That's real fun. How many guesses did, uh, does it usually take you? Yeah, I've uh, I've gotten them. I've gotten the oh the one I I've 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 only got not gotten one where he had to tell me who it was. Yeah. But uh, I I usually get them, and it's usually somewhere between you know three to ten. The one that where I got it right away was he was like, um, this is a a young player um, who has like uh, a thousand plate appearances uh, and uh, did not play in twenty twenty two. And uh, in 2021, had like 30 homers or, or 38 homers or something. Cunha, was, right? No, it's Tatis. Oh, Tatis, right, yeah. Did not play in 2021. Did not, yeah, yeah. Like, Cunha came back. I was like, injury. at first I was like, what? Young player <laughs> with lots of homers? Yeah, and right. <laughs> didn't play last year? And I was like, oh, I know that is. <laughs> sure, yeah, uh, that makes sense. I would have got Quantrill after about eight more minutes, which would have been really enjoyable <laughs> really for radio. listeners for me to just grind through that as I check all the AL pitchers off that don't strike yeah. guys off. 15 wins last year for Cal Quantrill. Wow. Uh-huh. That was valuable in deep leagues, I bet. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, on that note, maybe we'll play that game on a future episode. That's pretty fun. Drop us a line at ratesandbarrels at gmail.com is the best way to reach us via email. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you'd like a subscription to The Athletic for now, $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. Keep an eye out. Maybe we got a special coming up with the holiday coming up a week from now. Slight schedule change for this week. We'll have 3.0 coming out on uh, early Thursday being recorded Wednesday. We'll have a Thursday episode of Rates and Barrels this week, so a couple shuffles going on. I've got to be off for a couple of days later in the week, but we're going to have a project prospect for you on Tuesday. Plus, we'll talk about Patrick Bailey on that episode. It seems more appropriate to bring him up tomorrow than it did today because we rambled so much about other players. So that's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.